podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. G'day, my name's James and welcome to another episode of the Oz F1 Show. In this episode, we chat with Michael Laminado. You'll know him as the host of Box of Neutrals, the F1 Strategy Report and also the official Australian Grand Prix podcast in the fast lane. And he joins us in the studio. He's sitting next to us. G'day, mate. Hello, mate. How are you guys doing? Doing very well. Thank you. As Campy sits behind the camera and puts a noise on, (laughs) uh, he's our producer for this episode. So if it all looks terrible, it's his fault. Uh, Mate, it's great to have you along. We were just chatting before we started recording uh, and saying how wonderful the small community of Formula One is in this country. But what I'm interested about is how did you get to being a motorsport journalist in Formula One specifically? It's not a direct story because it's not something I ever really thought I was going to do. Uh, Even when I was at university, I was studying journalism, didn't think this was where it was going to go. It's one of those things where, and I feel like you guys have probably been on a similar wavelength. I think a lot of Australian fans have where you don't feel like you know very many other people who are interested in Formula One. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even like, I mean, I was interested in Formula One because the race was in Melbourne and that was almost 100% of how the interest came along. Like my dad kind of followed it, but not a lot. Um, But I stumbled across while at university and we were at community radio, one other person who was also interested in it. And (laughs) naturally, exactly. (laughs) And surrounded by, you know, a community radio station, the next step was to to start a a program, which was Box of Neutrals. uh, And it sort of spiraled out of control from there. Uh, You finished studying journalism and sort of built up from there. But it was never a goal set out to achieve. It just sort of happened because we were interested. Yeah. And as you said before we started recording again, the understanding of what having a small and independent or fan-based kind of journalism element from Australia Mm. just was unknown. So you really trailblazed for podcasts like us to be able to do what we do. Yeah, there was no – one of the big things when we were looking it up, like trying to choose the name and all that kind of basic stuff was – look into how many others there were and there weren't really any. There were none that we found at the time. And for a while we were running with the slogan something like uh, Australia's only F1 radio show. What a long slogan that is. (laughs) (laughs) Terrible radio slogan. And we did find there was one guy who emailed us, I think from Tasmania, and he was like, actually, (laughs) we were already doing this. And we were like, that's very funny. Well, maybe we'll change it to the mainland. And we got a really (laughs) snarky response. And never heard from them again. But uh, for all intents and purposes, the first one. Yes, the first longest, one. Longest running, perhaps. We love you, Tasmania. If yeah. anyone listens from Tasmania, which who knows if you have internet down there yet. Uh, dial it's, up, it is in Australia, so probably not. Yes. Oh, the man. slowest one possible. So you started about 2010. Yeah, right? that sounds about right. Which I'll is, take your word for it. a long time. I may have done some research. A long time ago. Uh what was the point where you you went from, okay, this is a bit of fun, community radio, which is very cool to do at the best of times, and then you go, I'm going to press the button on this and, and it becomes something bigger. What was the big break that turned it into what it is now? So Rob and I, Rob, who was one of the co-founders of the show, along with Peter McGinley, uh, if anyone sees him anymore, <laughs> uh, we after we'd finished studying uh, at the same university, I finished studying journalism, we went into a post-grad radio course at Swinburne. It's been, we were actually the last class, weirdly. It was shut down afterwards. And that sort of taught us all the radio basics. We really thought Box Neutral was going into like a radio space. Yep. And then at the end of that, we started just cold emailing producers and we got some back from uh, like SEA and stuff like that, giving us great feedback. Uh, And I remember we got an email back. This was when ABC Grandstand was still sort of like an ascent digital station. They were really trying to set it up. And I got one email back from the GM there and he was like, podcast is great. I reckon you'll go far. And I was like... (laughs) Cool. Well, creative note. can we talk more? And he was like, I'll call you in an hour. And then all of a sudden he was like, yeah, why don't you come on the station? And I was like, well, Whoa. I mean, that's kind of what this email was for. <laughs> I thought that would be implied in, yeah. the, in the air check situation. And so all of a sudden after, I mean, that would have been, I guess, 12 or 13. I think we went there. It happened almost immediately within a couple wow. of weeks of chatting to him. It was a Spanish Grand Prix, I think we started. So around May time. And we were there for a couple of years. So that's sort of where it went. Um, onto radio like that and it, it grew the whole time. And But again, it was just another sort of, I guess we'll see what happens, see yep. what we can make of it and things sort of came out of it. 
And I guess you're pushing that, again, love of Formula One and why we started mm. is to try and get more people aware of it. Uh, Drive to Survive didn't exist back then. so <laughs> no. In the before Drive to Survive days? Is there a before Drive to Survive <laughs> in Formula One? I don't understand. The dark ages. It doesn't make sense yes. to me. Uh, but... So you started then having like some authority to talk about Formula One. Yeah. What was what Terrifying. was the moment that you ended up actually at a track or able to to do something live? I think the first time, other than the Australian Grand Prix, because we got a couple of media passes in, I can't even remember the year, a couple of years into the community radio show. But there was after one, might have been the first year at the ABC, let's say, or maybe just the year before, we'd started sending the show cutting it up a little bit, adding some extra bits to a friend of ours who was doing radio in Thailand of all places. He'd gone there to do a breakfast show. And he was like, why don't we, first of all, it was uh, like, let's talk F1 once a week, something like that. And then he was like, they they really like the show. Why don't we just put it on the radio? We did some tops and tails for a different intro and that kind of stuff. And then, so he was doing that. That show was running there. And after the Australian Grand Prix, everyone was like, oh, you know, another year till the next race. He was like, why don't you come over to Malaysia? We've got tickets. We're like, oh, yeah, okay, very funny. That's very amusing. Malaysia is the next week. And he called us on the Monday afternoon after Australia before Malaysia. He's like, so are you coming or not? Wow. We're serious. Like we've got, we've got media passes because wow. they're sponsoring the station, I think, the Malaysian Grand Prix. And I remember the next two days, I'd luckily already had a passport at that point. Rob was doing like the emergency passport, <laughs> had to bring the form back twice because he signed the wrong place. No, like classic. really last minute stuff. And that was the first, I guess, overseas race we went to. And that's when you sort of, certainly we started getting that taste of the idea of we can go to two races, do stuff at races. And then I think from that year, it was really building year on year the number of races we were doing. So it was, it sort of started weirdly. Do you miss doing that sort of stuff? At the moment, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Looking at it, you know, it's whenever you see somewhere you've been overseas, you can remember it so vividly in these COVID times. But it's strange not to be there now. And it's strange that it's been such a long time as well. Mm. Weird to think it's passed quickly. What was the last race you were actually at? It was Japan 2019, I guess. Was that the crazy storm one? Was it? Yeah. Was it? Yeah, it was. Yes, it was. It was the typhoon. Yeah, Yeah. where they called off Saturday and ran it on Sunday morning. Yeah. That is a long time ago. It was ages ago. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. It's it's mental to think that. And who knows when we'll be able to get to another one. Bloody hard to get out of Australia at the moment. Yeah, I chatted to Kim Illman two weeks mm. ago who just made the decision that I'm leaving the country yeah. and I probably won't come back until, you know, the end of the year. And yeah. even if he does come back, it's likely in November, maybe we get a race here or not, that he's going to quarantine for two weeks anyway. So yeah. that whole thing is just, you know, is it even worth going? Probably not. Oh, he got vaccinated. So. Well, yes, which <laughs> yeah, is true. Good on him. Ahead <laughs> the rest of us. Yeah. That is true. <laughs> What's your favourite moment then? And so you, you started, you went to Malaysia, which is mm. cool. What was the pinch me moment for, for that sort of stuff? It's hard to pick one. Uh, I mean, lots of, been involved in lots of weird things that have happened at Grand Prix, whether it was, I mean, the cancellation here was a very strange event to be in the middle on. Mm, um, yes. Two typhoons in Japan, really weird vibe when that happens and everyone instantly becomes weatherman as well. Like yeah. everyone's like, no, it's a typhoon. It's part of the typhoon. Is it a super typhoon? No, the wind spin is not fast enough. Uh, they were all very strange. I think the only like real pinch me moment I've had though was not at a racetrack at all, but we, I was working on a different podcast at the ABC and it was when I interviewed Murray Walker and I've oh, been wow. lucky enough to interview him twice. Wow. And it's so strange. And you know, we were reflecting on this when he passed away, of course, earlier this year, is that I didn't grow up listening to Murray. You know, he stopped in 2001, I think it was, wasn't it? You know, I was Mm -hmm. only 10 years old at the time. Yes. And I'm not even sure if he was on the coverage here. I don't know, even though that was the Australian coverage, I couldn't tell you. Yeah. But speaking to him and even thinking about him, he's more synonymous with Formula One than any other sound, even more than the sound of the cars or any other commentator. And we've had good commentators since, no disrespect to them, but- Somehow he just was Formula One to me. And so when I interviewed him the first time, that was a real like spine tingling moment to hear his voice down the line, answering things you were asking him and just chatting to him was really super strange. And I interviewed him again last year and it was the same thing. Like having already spoken to him once, it was this exact same feeling. And I'd- it's sort of indescribable because it's just, it's it's almost like he's not a real person. He's like a concept. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And 
<laughs> that was a real, that was probably strangely enough, just in a studio on the phone at probably like 1am or something to line up with his time zone. Wow. The coolest moment for me. It's strange to say, but that, that was it. Not at all. That's, yeah, that's <laughs> mega. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, he was just something really special, I thought, Murray. Would you say that he, even though you didn't grow up listening to him, but now that you've sort of stepped into the journalist world and you're doing the broadcasting, that he is influential to how you would present? Or do you have other people that sort of helped you along that process? In a sense, not his style or anything like that. Certainly not. And I'm also not a commentator, so I guess (laughs) not. But I like, and I think this is sort of a really good model for almost anything, anything you do, is that he was, first of all, authentic, like Mm. super authentic and engaged. And I just think no matter what approach, not that I didn't like, you know, I like to think that's the approach I take, not because of Murray Walker, but that I think they're good things. Yes. <laughs> but I've, if there's any sort of connection there, it's yes. that I think that the best people, like the most likable people, the best people you meet tend to be though, tend to have those qualities. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a generally, generally a good approach. For sure. I wouldn't say that he's like a, an inspiration because like, I mean, you know, he did stop when we were very young. Yeah. Yes. But- those qualities, I think, are something that uh, people in Formula One shouldn't forget so much. I think that's part of the reason that he's so synonymous is that super easy to get cynical in Formula yeah. One. Mm. The longer the season gets, the more sort of out of touch the sport becomes. For sure, for Very sure. easy to become cynical, but he never did. Yes. And I think that's really important. Yes. Did you Do you have any mentors or any other people you can point to in the paddock that have kind of helped or channeled your direction and things in that respect? I wouldn't say so much mentors, but there are a lot of people I feel really lucky to have worked with over mm. the years. And I will say, first of all, I mean, Rob, co-hosting Box for Neutrals, uh, it seems redundant to say the show wouldn't be what it was yes. without him because it's literally the case. Yeah. Uh, but obviously a really big motivation because he brings something different to the show that I don't have, this different kind of creativity. Um, uh, Matt Clayton, who I co-host the Australian Grand Prix podcast with, has been almost kind of like a mentor, I suppose. He's been a much longer running journalist in Australia. I feel like we're all on that same wavelength. It's good to have yes. more local journalists. Yes. Um, and he's been really great to work with in that regard as well. Um, and weirdly, not at all related to Formula One, going way back to the days when he started in community radio, just a friend of mine, also named Michael, Michael Stratus, who got me involved in radio in the first place. Uh, that he has like this outgoing energy that I didn't have when I was at university that I still feel, I probably don't attribute to him enough, but he's a big part of why I ever got involved in the first place. He hated Formula One for the longest time. (laughs) Uh, Really regretted, neglected, hated that I went and did this F1 podcast. Yeah. But now he bloody loves it. Thanks Drive to Survive. (laughs) Yes. See, is there Formula One before Drive to Survive? It comes back to it. It doesn't exist, surely. So talk to us about, not having podcast fade. I think we spoke just before we started about other Aussie podcasts that have mm. come and gone. You've been around the longest. When did it develop out of ABC Grandstand? Because obviously not doing mm. that anymore. What was, was the moment that you found out that you just still wanted to do it because you loved doing it? I think so. And I think it's also, look, so Rob and Peter and I are all friends. Uh, we were friends before the podcast, first mm. of all, friends without the podcast now. But it is one of those things that we kind of do. I don't know, it's it's a really weird uh, bow to draw, but did you ever watch that Eric Banner film about his car, Love the Beast? Yes. yes. Yeah, it's that kind of thing where it's like he has all those friends, like they're friends, but it's the thing you do with them. Yeah. And like we hang out outside the show and all that kind of stuff, but it's the thing that we've done for 10 years now, whatever it is. Yeah. So it seems almost inconceivable to not continue. So when the call came from the ABC, they've restructured Grandstand, they're changing the way things were doing to focus on, I still remember the phrase, AFL, NRL, cricket, and to a lesser extent, the A-League, which I think is fair. Uh, We were like, well, we're going to keep doing it. And we found a way to do it. We found a studio to do it, which was, you know, ironic in retrospect because for the last year we didn't need a studio to do it for obvious reasons. Yes. Um, But we're back in the studio now, which is good. Yeah, it almost was never even, I don't even think we talked about the idea of not continuing with it. Because it just seemed like, well, of course we would. It's yeah. the thing that we do and it's fun and we're still going to watch races. So yeah. Yeah. why not have a chat about it? Yeah, I love that. That's why I love doing this as much as mm. he doesn't reply to my text messages when I'm not physically <laughs> That's here. The, you're the Peter McGinley. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. That's I'll a terrible thing to as say. Soon as, 
as soon as qualifying starts, I'm on my text messages and we are group chat. Yeah. He'll, uh, when he inevitably disappears, he'll be called Formula Tommy T <laughs> for our fantasy league when that ever happens. Uh, so talk to us about getting FIA accredited because I th- mm. I, there's a lot of people who listen to this podcast who are also F1 content creators, which is very cool and mm. very difficult to do on uh, budget and just getting into it. What was that whole process like and with the French sort of like, Okay. What credentials oh. do you have? Australia? <laughs> None. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's bloody hard and bloody French. Like <laughs> I had <laughs> one. <laughs> Can't be fist pumping behind the camera. Yep. He's well producing. Yes. <laughs> uh, I had one uh, editor of mine who described it as such as being bloody French. The back end of like the, forget the, the way you're accredited, but just the system they use is incredibly convoluted. Sure. Yes. Um, but it's weirdly enough that connection in Thailand, one of the, the contracts, the, one of the, the deals I still have was with a paper that was associated with the radio station. And I don't know if it's just because there were no one, there was no one else covering it from Thailand or even maybe from a lot of Southeast Asia at the time or whatever it was, but that was sort of like newspapers for a long time, maybe still do have it kind or easier, I would say in the accreditation system. Right. It's probably changed more recently. I mean, when I started going nearly a decade ago, I guess, you can't say websites were new, can you? But, but it's to the FIA, Different. they seemed new. <laughs> and so the idea of getting accredited with a website was just too like the hoops they'd make you jump through was sort of really convoluted. And so fortunately, this was a more straightforward way of doing it, going via a newspaper and still doing that, which means it still kind of works out. I think they're much more amenable to online now because it's just the way the world's worked. I mean, yeah. even like yes. Autosport presumably goes through the fact that they're a website before they're a magazine now. Yeah. Um, but at the time it was still sort of biased, I guess you could say, well, maybe not biased, but tilted towards print media. Mm. And so print media was the way I got in and I still do a bit of print media and that's the way it worked. Yeah, I have tried to go on to have a look at what accreditation looks like mm. and have closed that tab about 17 <laughs> times. I've gone, maybe I'll just have a look at what FIA accreditation, <laughs> never mind. I can't be bothered. It's just too hard We basket. did, when we were at the ABC, and we were, this was with the permission of the content director at the time, we were like, oh, you know, the Australian Grand Prix is coming around. Let's try and do, you know, we're not going to do comments or anything like that, but we'll do some, try and do a show at the track or something yeah. like that. Like that's you know, be sure. a cool thing with you on the ABC. Why wouldn't we? And you got, we got in, t- in contact. It's not the FIA in that regard. It becomes the Formula One side of things. Like, oh, you know, we just want to do, all you want to do is be able to record, you know, in the paddock, you know, maybe if we can, we'll do some interviews and stuff as well. We'll podcast that. And they came back with a number so large for the cost of that. I can't even remember what it was because I was like, wow. I don't even know if I replied or I made up an excuse. I was like, oh, we'll get back to you because it was just so like, there's no way. It was entirely the fly. ABC's budget probably. Yeah, exactly. So it was, that was never going to, it was never going to be down that route. It always was going to be via a print route because I mean, <laughs> to pay for it is crazy. So Mate. that's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, it was, surprising. it essentially strays into like, right, broadcast rights, I suppose. But yeah. It's a funny grey area, probably with a lot of sports, isn't it? The difference between wanting the broadcast rights Mm -hmm. and just wanting to create what is now ubiquitous content, which is things like podcasts or uh, any kind of online content that might be a bit video, might be a bit audio, whatever. But, you know, it's not really the same as doing a TV broadcast, is it? But no no one's got the answer for that. Because, of course, if you're a TV broadcast, you've probably locked in the maximum definition of what TV counts I want it as. all. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so in some respects, you could say the sport's probably hamstrung in that way. But yes. it'll change over time. It's changing a little bit now, but I don't know that we'll be podcasting there anytime soon. No, and I feel like that's going to be our biggest go for when we ask for crowdfunding to get the rights off mm. of Foxtel. For- yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we want. Which is what we just decided we were going to do on Saturday. I think we did our yeah. uh, first pre-drinks, like a pre-primer episode mm. to the race. And Camby is like, actually, I'm sick of Foxtel. This sucks. <laughs> and oh. everyone, it's sort of a lot of DMs came through and like, yeah, I'm sick of paying all this money and not like even not even being able to watch testing, for yeah. example. And here. at the end of the weekend, you've got all that ad stuck in your head yeah. because there's only three of them that, that yes. are on rotation during your Sunday. And there's a lot of lot more placements of those ads in between in practice qualifying and qualifying. As well, yeah. Yes, as our, our producer friend <laughs> yeah. is very sick of. Yeah. Uh, There's too many. It is. We're paying for it. Yes. <laughs> it's like, guys, settle down, really. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's the biggest thing for, for our point of view in Australia is trying to get access to content easily to introduce people to the sport of Formula One mm. becomes very difficult. So 
doing a podcast or a vodcast uh, is is a good way of doing that. When did you decide that you weren't busy enough and you wanted to do F1 Strategy Report and then <laughs> a third podcast and the official in the fast lane one too? I don't know if I'll ever decide that I'm too busy, not because I'm not, but just because it's too hard to make that decision. (laughs) It's because then you'd have to start turning something down, which is just not the way you're wired. Uh, The strategy report happened sort of a little bit out of the blue. I think, I mean, it was originally the guy who runs it, Nathan, um, who's a friend of mine as well now, well, since has become a friend of mine, was originally running it himself. He was hosting it and he decided that he didn't want to host it, but did want to continue the podcast. He's like, oh, why don't you continue hosting and he sort of does all the backside stuff of it. I just do the the podcast itself. And that's kind of just continued to grow. We've had a good couple of years as well. That's been sort of a nice thing to do. And we've, it's like he's worked together on like the business kind of side of it. So I haven't had to worry about that. Whereas Boxer Neutrals, we've sort of had to do everything. Yes. Um, All I have to do is line up a guest and worry about the race and he'll, and then send it to him and then I'll go to bed. (laughs) And it's great on a Monday night at like 1am. Wow. (laughs) Time for sleep. Yes. Uh, So that, but that's been really good. And it's a different side of things. You know, when I started doing it, I can't even remember what year that was. You know, Boxer Neutrals is a completely different kind of show. Yep. So to be able to look into, it's not necessarily the technical side of things, the strategy side of stuff which there isn't a lot of content covering at the moment. There's often like a couple of good sort of in-depth articles, but certainly nothing on the podcast side. Seemed like a logical next step. And yeah, it's been nice to see that grow over the last couple of years. It seems people are interested in it, which is always good. Yes. So what about the opportunity then for the In The Fast Lane? Because I Mm. think, yeah, you were obviously a go-to choice for someone who's a fan who's listened for a long time, but to actually get the official side to recognize that you know what you're talking about must have been a bit difficult. Yeah, it was sort of, I mean, that was completely out of the blue because it was in COVID. And, you know, this was at a time, I can't remember exactly the month, but it was like, there was nothing going on. There was mm-hmm. no races. There was no con- even confirmed provisional calendar. Everything was getting cancelled. Even yep. the NRL hadn't started and they wow. never stopped pretty much. <laughs> uh, yep. And out of the blue, it came up. It was again, Matt Clayton, who'd been talking to some of the guys there. And he was like, look, they, they, I mean, with no race prospect on the immediate horizon because who knows how COVID was going to go, especially at that time. There was yeah. no idea that anything would even happen again. And I'm like, well, I guess they want to do a podcast to fill the time. Yeah. Like, great. I've got plenty of time to fill at yeah. the moment. <laughs> Nothing's happening. Yeah. And so that then sort of grew out of that. It was originally going to be a month and they were like, oh, actually the first episode did really well. Let's do it every week. <laughs> like, cool. Okay. Yeah. And then when everything started again, I was like, it seems very busy, but it's, it was okay. <laughs> it was really nice actually last year because obviously the Grand Prix Corp runs the MotoGP as well. Mm-hmm. And so I got to do a little bit of MotoGP, which I've been a fan of for a long time, but have never really covered. Um, that's now weekly as well. And I've got a substantially more professional and experienced Christian <laughs> running that as well. So it's better for them. Uh, but that's been a completely different sort of idea as well to run an official kind of podcast yeah. is strange. Can't make jokes about rich energy for obvious reasons <laughs> and things like that. You can on this podcast. Yeah, that's, that's great. <laughs> I feel like it should be more acceptable everywhere. Yeah, you know. Yes. Yeah. I actually saw a, a content creator on YouTube, Jimmy Broadbent, Tate, review mm. a rich energy drink and the photo was of him <laughs> holding a can. I was like, surely that's just a Red Bull wrapped in something else. <laughs> I believe that every time I see one of the cans, like yeah. that's clearly not real. It's not real. It's CGI. It I mean, look at the black. It's too black. It it can't can't be. Be. You're not wrong. <laughs> so has the best interview, it's outside of Murray Walker, through mm. the in the fast lane stuff, is there a best interview that you've been stoked to be part of? And someone who you talk to, mm. you're like, oh, I didn't ever think I'd get to chat to that person. It's hard to say because, again, yeah, luckily enough, we got Mario on that podcast as well. But uh, of all the interviews we've done, I'm really trying to think rapidly now. One that stands out is Johnny Herbert Mm. purely because he was so long. (laughs) Like, it's one of those things where, you know, you line up an interview and these guys are all busy. Obviously, he was traveling with Sky Sports last year. And you're like, okay, we'll get you 15, 20 minutes. Like, that's great. And then he just, again, a super enthusiastic guy, right? A guy who really loves... Formula One, being in it, loves chatting about it clearly. Clearly. I think we got to 45 minutes of like, oh, look, we're conscious of your time. He's like, no, we'll keep chatting. <laughs> and so he was really great. And he was really, I mean, he was, yeah, really great to chat to. Super nice guy. Yeah. Um, has a lot of good opinions and insight, as I think sometimes we forget with some of the former drivers. Yes. Maybe because some of the more outspoken ones, like your Jacques Villeneuve and stuff, give <laughs> yep. him a bad name. I don't know. Yeah. But he was really cool to speak to. Uh, but we, I mean, we've done... We've done heaps of like um, fun ones and inevitably you find that if you get them in the right mood, they 
anyone can be good. You know, yes. Strangely, even the ones you think won't be, they end up being really nice. So yeah, uh, he was a good one. Jensen Button was also really good. Another guy who was really generous with his time. And I think you've probably found as well on Sky Sports, he was he's almost like a hidden diamond there because he's I would never More have guessed. JB. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I haven't seen him this year yet on the TV. I think Extreme E took all of his attention oh, yes. and figuring out how to be a rally driver. Yeah. Because that was a good idea. <laughs> and I think he's doing GT car work as well with McLaren too. He's busy. He's a busy man. He's busy. Yeah. Uh, probably not as busy as you, but still a busy man. Uh, probably a lot wealthier than you, uh, yeah, than all of yeah, us combined. Yeah. <laughs> yes. but, but he is a hidden gem. And I think with the, again, Australian coverage of it with such a UK bent has been so hard to find the authenticity that you spoke about with Murray Walker. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he just comes across as like, he's really stoked to be there. Yeah. He's not wearing silly suits like <laughs> Nico Rosberg Nico and looking like a, a, a criminal from Die Hard, <laughs> like he often does. Uh, yeah. And he's he's got insight because he yeah. still knows all the drivers. All the drivers yeah. respect him. You know, mm. he took the, the story of him and BAR and Braun and, and leaving then what was going to be Mercedes, which was a mistake really on his part to go to McLaren in retrospect. But he's also yeah. chilled about it. Yeah. And he's just so happy to be involved. Yeah. Uh, I feel like he's not chasing storylines or making up hidden yeah. kind of things happening. There's no agendas. He's like, this is what happened. Just and keeping what a, it simple. Yeah. And what an understated world champ. I almost forgot while we were talking about him that he won the world title. Yeah. <laughs> and like, what an understated guy to go about that. And he yep. doesn't, doesn't hold that over anyone. Like you say, he's still really down to earth in the yeah. way he interacts with people and counts for a lot. It, it does come across even through the TV. Yeah, absolutely. So we've, we've talked about the time zones and how terrible it is to be an Australian trying to watch oh, Formula One. Yeah. Give us a rundown of your weekend. What does it look like? Yes. Are you nocturnal? Yeah, well, I mean, when like Bahrain, why did they make that a night race? Oh. That's the worst, isn't it? Those races are really tough. Um, the one, the, the second Bahrain last year, which was properly overnight, I think that was 4am, something like that. I'm kind of about that. I'd rather get up early because I start work early as a coffee yes, roaster. So yeah. that's kind of like just start my day earlier. Yeah. But I suppose like, yeah, different. Well, yeah. I mean, the ones that are like three or 4am are right on the cusp. I like the, the US ones are kind of all right because it's yes. right where you can go. You can ride it off as like an early morning. Yes. But doing like, um, so to use Bahrain as an example, again, you're getting up at when it was the overnight one like 3 a.m. to do practice two, and you're like, I don't care. <laughs> Come on, guys. Yeah. Practice so it's not just a me. different time. No. Like, you know, don't be wrong. The practice, I mean, the practice feeds into the strategy stuff, all that kind of stuff. It's interesting when you're more awake. Yes. But at night, you're like, there's no one on track. There's been no one on track for 15 minutes. Yeah. David Croft is talking about some UK brand store that I don't know. <laughs> you're like, I just don't want this. It's, yeah. So sometimes it's hard. Yeah. yeah. Um, luckily, like we're right on the cusp, aren't we? At 11 p.m. most races, you can kind of get away with it. Yep. Really annoyed. I don't know if you were as well. Over the off season, there was a rumor they were going to go back to 10 o'clock and I was like, yes, yes. get in there. Yeah. yeah. And then they didn't. And then I heard a rumor they're going to go to midnight in the next year or two. Please don't. And it's a real roller coaster to be yeah. in Australia following Formula One. Yeah. Secretly, like, I look, I really love Canada. People there are very nice. They make great chips. But <laughs> I'm not that upset if it's cancelled. Yes. Yeah. Really? It's horrible. Don't need that. Yeah. So as you're, you're watching everything that's produced, mm. what other kind of content are you watching and consuming over the weekend to kind of gather and form your opinions and get ready for the podcasts? So you, I was trying to consume a little bit of everything really. So yes, covering all the sessions uh, and then just seeing the different perspectives people take on it. So you, I think like everyone, you've got your own sources, you know, who are, and not sources, I mean like people you're texting, <laughs> but like purely just sometimes. websites. Sometimes you are texting people, but like even just the articles, you know, from reliable people who have either on the ground or uh, yeah. the next best thing, especially in COVID, not everyone's on the ground anymore, but you're getting different perspectives on what's been happening and just talking to people like, a, you know, I've got a WhatsApp group of colleagues, for example, we chat about whatever's happening. You just get different perspectives on it. I think that's the thing is that you can never do, especially when you're covering it from a distance, you can never do it on your own because yep. there's just too much going on most of the time. have got 20 drivers. Uh, most of them are often pointing the right way. This year it's less <laughs> less common, but... You need someone who's kind of across all of that. And that's why it's part of the, the things I really miss about going to the races is not just, you know, being able to go anywhere that's outside of my own state, but it's that you're talking to people who are looking at things slightly differently, even yeah. when you're all doing yeah. the same job. And even being at the same table as them, being able to talk to them is 
is something that I do miss as, as part of the job. And it's, it's harder now. It's changed the way we work. I mean, it's changed the way everyone's worked, I suppose. But mm. that is, yeah, trying to replicate that experience at home is mostly what you're doing in between sessions and, and during the weekend. And so when, when is the podcast recorded? When do you get everything in a row to go, all right, pressing the record button? It's all Monday. It's the day I sort of set aside to smash everything out, yes. whether I've slept on Sunday night or not. <laughs> Uh, and then it normally goes in some order, like the uh, FY, the Australian Grand Prix podcast. If we're doing an interview that night, we'll do it that night. Uh, then Box of Neutrals will come at some point. Strategy report whenever whoever's available. Try and knock them all over on Monday. Box of Neutrals goes out overnight. Yep. Um, strategy report normally first thing Tuesday. The Australian Grand Prix one, luckily, I don't have to worry about it once it's recorded Lucky. as well. Yes. Send Just send problem. the audio and it's uh, someone else's problem. They yep. can put it up. But yeah, knock that all over on Monday and then you sort of finish writing some other things on Tuesday and Wednesday and then more often than not, as we're going to see probably as the season goes on, there's a race almost immediately afterwards. So you're back into the cycle again. Yeah, it's going to be very busy. I think we've sort of been mm. like, it's a bit boring after Bahrain three weeks later than this. Yes. And now it's, and it's like being a Formula E fan. You never yeah. know when the next race is coming. <laughs> Nothing's happening. Yeah. Even when there is a race happening. Nothing's <laughs> happening. Just thinking about Stoffel Van Dorn playing <laughs> Modern Warfare rather yeah. than being the called res- reserve driver for Correct. Mercedes. Poor bloke. <laughs> Streaming is very lucrative now. Look, he can make money from that. Well, he might make more money true. on Twitch than actually driving. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lando could. would be, let's be honest. Yes. Well, that's also true. <laughs> uh, okay, well, let's talk about the 2021 season then because I think that's we've had two races and some testing and it'll be good to get your thoughts uh, on Danny Rick. We say on the tin mm. of the podcast that we're very Danny Ricardo biased, no surprises. We're also very Oscar Piastri biased in an oh, yes. sense Up too. And, <laughs> uh, and obviously more so because he's from Melbourne rather than the West. We have to pretend like the West <laughs> <Yes>. is okay. <laughs> uh, although I do now do a radio spot for anyway in Perth. So if you listen, I love you a lot. Thanks very much. But... From a journalist sense, there is so much Australian crap that oh. comes out about Daniel Ricciardo leaving Red Bull, leaving Renault, and how it was all the wrong thing. So, mm. as a proper FIA-accredited journalist, glad you put the please put <laughs> please put important. everything right. <laughs> yeah, look, it's I mean, it's going to be one of those things you only get an answer to at the end of the, his career, right? Because everything in a Formula One driver's career is about getting to a position to win the world title or contend for the world title, which obviously he has not done yet. And you don't know if he ever will. You know, mm. he's got the talent to do it, obviously, but yep. it's all about being in the right place in the right time. I think one thing we can say almost for certain is that leaving Renault was correct. Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, we know again yep. only two races and things will change over this year and next year's what it's about, but you can see that he clearly has seen something that has made him uncomfortable and it's sort of uh, being validated in the results. Mm. Leaving Red Bull is a more almost philosophical question, I guess. And I go back to what Fernando Alonso used to say literally every year after he left Ferrari saying, don't you regret leaving Ferrari? You're McLaren, they're terrible. And his answer would always be, well, if Ferrari hasn't won the title, then what's the difference? Yeah. I'm here to try and be in the best position to win the title. They're not winning it. I think McLaren, <laughs> yeah. it's ridiculous to think now. I yeah, think McLaren no. will be the one that will do it first. Uh, which is strange, but the the same does apply with more cohesive logic for Daniel, which is that as long as Red Bull Racing is not winning the title, then it makes sense for him to try and find a, a place where he can be the number one or the lead driver or an equal driver elsewhere. Not that he wasn't equal with Max, but there was clearly an, a, an emotional side to things there, which he admitted. And I think Red Bull will one, you know, tacitly admits in a way, it's press releases kind of give it away sometimes. Christian Horn on Drive to Survive gives it away. I think. <laughs> yes. The idea that Max is the guy they want to win, which is fine. Like, you know, teams often choose a driver and that's okay. If Red Bull at the end of this season dominates, which I don't think they'll dominate, but, you know, if, if over the course of a year the, the, uh, they sort of overpower Mercedes, then you might be entitled to ask, well, maybe Daniel should have stayed. But then you'd have to ask, would he have beat Max Verstappen, which is another mm-hmm. question, at a team that certainly has now become Max's team, whether or not it would have been he stayed is another question, but that's the only point I think at which you could start to say, well, maybe should he be having regrets? But for mm-hmm. the time being, if there are no titles lost, then you can't say he's regret anything yet. I like that. That's a good way to put it. I, I do wonder, and I wonder if you could go and ask Christian, do you regret how Daniel was treated and do you wish he was still there? I think they definitely wish he was I still there. I think they'd have to, wouldn't yeah. they? I mean, with not seeing how Perez is going to go this year, because I think he'll do all right. I think the fact he qualified so well is a yeah. really good sign yeah. yep. in Imola. But for the last two years, I mean, how much would they have 
paid Daniel and he asked a second time yep. to drive one of those cars because the number one thing they've missed is just a, a second driver who's consistent yep. and is fast, which is everything that Daniel is. Yes. Um, you know, you could argue that Daniel's become a lot better having left Red Bull just by the things he's learned. And I think that's probably true. Yep. I think if he'd gone back, he'd probably put in an even better showing than he was at the time. But absolutely. I mean, all Red Bull wants is a guy that's, that is Daniel, really. All they <laughs> yeah, want is him. Daniel, yes. I mean, every team probably wants a little bit of Daniel in that respect. Sure. Um, and they've definitely missed it. But I think they kind of missed their opportunity. And not that they look. They obviously prefer Max, I guess, if you want to put it like that. Uh, again, not in a favouritism kind of way, but they're the guy they want to win. So they can't regret that too much. Yeah. Yeah, I think from a... From our point of view too, it just seems that McLaren is a better culture, better mm. leadership like Andreas Seidel and Zach Brown. Like we love Zach. Love you Zach know, Brown. he's just can't such pronounce a anything that's not American. No, no, no he can't. <laughs> but you got to love Renault. him. It's like, what did you say? Renault. 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 Got from Renault. What the hell is Renault? <laughs> I don't understand it. Oh, Renault. Nice. Got it. Sorry. No idea. No idea. Carlos. But it, Car- yeah, Carlos. Carlos. Yeah. But it, that's the whole thing is like it's just so good. He's a good character. He's he a great is. character. Another guy seems really genuine, right? Yes. Like, and, and he's, you know, he's affable because he's from a marketing background. Yep. But I don't think that that like he, he doesn't come across as a salesman, just no. as a guy who wants to engage people. And that's been really great for McLaren. Like yeah. as good as all the things that Ron Dennis did, I think the time clearly passed him by. Yeah. And McLaren became a place that was not so enjoyable to work. I mean, we all remember that Fredo Frog story where that's how employees were being rewarded apparently <laughs> for doing well. And yeah. that's a McLaren that's been left behind, thankfully, for one that's being run by uh, Zach Brown. And Andreas Seidel, like you, think, uh, like you said, I think has been sort of like the magic source of that team. Yes. And there's a lot of reasons to think that that's going to work out really well for them. Yeah, and really none of them are trying to seek the spotlight. Like yeah. they're just very happy for the drivers to do the talking on track. Mm-hmm. Uh, but their content creation is just next level. Whoever's behind their marketing at yeah. the moment is it's the best on the grid mm-hmm. by a long way. And I think just being able to really see a fairly unedited version of Daniel sitting in that car at Silverstone mm-hmm. for his first run uh, and then again for testing just allows, again, us and Australians to enter a little bit more of that space as to what it's like to be a Formula 1 driver and have an emotional connection with these guys rather than mm. being left out in the cold. <laughs> so what are you looking forward to this year as a race? Is there something that you're mm. happy to, to talk about? I mean, I wish we were going to Mugello because that was mm. – I mean, Imola was great. I, yes. I've come around to it even more so this year. But yes. Mugello looked even cooler to me and I think was a better – for racing, Imola yep. is great as a driver's circuit, but nice. I think you get a little bit better racing. Although you could just say it's probably because so many drivers crashed into one another. <laughs> Mazepin's on the grid this year, probably yes. even, even better. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you look, you never know, it might pop up because races are already started. Well, we've already got one race dropping off, don't we? Yeah. Um, Portugal will be fun, I think. Uh, but I mean, there's, I think we're lucky we've got, I know we knock the circuits a lot and there are some circuits you could definitely leave behind. Paul Card. Yes, <laughs> uh, yes, <laughs> that's one Sochi. that doesn't, yes, they yes, also, <laughs> don't, yeah, that's another one. Yeah, there are a few. Jeddah, we haven't even had that <laughs> yet. <laughs> but but I know, we can, yeah, we can move past that one. <laughs> but like some of them that, I mean, Suzuka, I'm looking forward to seeing yes. again. That'll be great. Yeah. I think Singapore, as much as the racing's not always great, just the physical challenge yes. of that track, I think is special. And I'm glad that as at least up until now, stuck around in the calendar. Yeah, Hope Singapore. it continues. Yep. Yes. Uh, those kind of, I mean, those kind of classic circuits are really great. Even mm. Silverstone started to produce in the last couple of years some really good racing. Mm. Um, so I think those ones, especially considering we've got such a close fight at the moment, and the midfield. I know we say this every year, usually because there's nothing happening at the front. We're like, but the midfield's great. Yeah, it's so exciting. Like Renault, uh, but the midfield <laughs> Renault. Is, Renault is really close this year, and a bit yeah. closer to the front as well. Yes. I think McLaren's been proving, and even Ferrari a little bit. So the idea of going to a track that can facilitate racing, I think, is going to produce, hopefully, a spectacle that we're almost not used to seeing in the last couple of years. Like, it's, you know, the last couple of years when we've had good race, we're like, man, Formula wow. 1 is kind of good, isn't it? <laughs> and you heard about this sport. <laughs> yeah, and like, I'm hopeful that we're going to, that's going to become more normal now. You know, touch wood. I know we've yeah. had two good races and that's not going to last forever, naturally. No. But I'm optimistic that actually that's going to become more commonplace this year. And I hope that's not too much to ask <laughs> for a sport. It's meant it to be is. entertaining. Yes. We said last year's like, we won't say any race is boring. Now that we've got races yeah. again. Yeah, we're so thankful. And then yeah. Austria too happy. We're like, oh. <laughs> Oh, I mean, it was boring. I know it's fine. It's good to have racing back. Yeah, no yes. last lap Lando yeah. that existed. <laughs> uh, so Japan is going to be 
interesting. If there is a COVID travel bubble, which mm. is an Australian thing in Singapore, would be good to hopefully oh, travel yes. for that. Yep. Uh, we could all look at the drivers through a fence line somewhere. For the three of us, <laughs> it'll be a long way back at a hotel that we could afford, which will probably be in Malaysia, uh, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. Uh, so, what, okay, from a 2021 season, we've seen two races plus testing. Mm-hmm. Have you got a bold prediction that sort of sits mm-hmm. maybe a little bit left of field? I would have loved if this had been before the season, I would have said something about Sergio Perez. But <laughs> so far, I mean, his start's been very good and I would have loved to have said something like, I think he'll beat Max, but he's not going to. <laughs> so I don't think that's going to happen. I think, and, and nothing seems as bold because now I'm thinking of what we've seen, but I reckon actually Esteban will, will show well against Fernando. Mm, interesting. Because, I mean, I know it's only two seasons, uh, two races. And we isn't it weird? I was thinking about this yesterday. Isn't it weird how many drivers are giving the excuse like, oh, you know, it's a new team and I need time. I don't remember drivers used to say that, but Fernando's saying it, so I guess we should take something it, there. It but seems like all the new drivers are, though, aren't they? They all, Like, there's five or six you can think of off the top of your head. They're like, well, you know, you've got to give them another month or two and they'll get better. And you're like, <laughs> but it didn't I, – I, I think I said this yesterday. Sebastian Vettel, didn't he win his second or third race at Ferrari? Very early mm-hmm. in his Ferrari career. Mm-hmm. And now he can't <laughs> even score a point. <laughs> so I don't trust his excuse for that one. <laughs> no. But if uh, Daniel says it, totally fine. Oh, he's, yeah. he's completely on the yeah. money. Though. Everyone That's else, no, yeah. put yourself in the bin. <laughs> I even think actually on that, I reckon Lance Stroll will beat Sebastian Riddle this year, which again does not seem bold anymore. No. But had you said it two months ago, <laughs> you would have been like, That's ridiculous. Yeah. Why would you say that? Yeah, absolutely. I, but this year, I don't know, it's hard to say. I think actually as well, McLaren will probably have a run from Ferrari for third in the standings. Maybe even Alpha Tauri if they can finish a race. Yeah. If Yuki can stay on the yeah, track. Yeah, exactly. So I think that they're but that's what's really great. I think we, we Become used to making predictions that we know will probably come true, and then doing something kind of wacky to add in there. But it's hard to predict because you, I don't, I don't think there's anything you can almost say with confidence other than Haas is going to finish last. <laughs> there's almost nothing else you could confidently put this year that yep. is going to happen. Yeah. Yep. Thoughts on? I don't. This is a boring topic, and I hate to bring it up. <laughs> And it's going to be track limits. Oh, yeah. I Uh, love boring topics. I know. It's sort of like Ted's tire talk. You know, he's like, he begrudgingly talks about it, but then discusses it very well. Bring out the crayons. Yes. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. The sky pad really went downhill (laughs) this weekend. Uh, But track limits, from your point of view, Mm. what should or should they not be? I mean, I don't understand why it's not just the line, because that's just what, like, is obvious and easy. And you can, again, like, I don't. I don't want to always fall into the trap that everything needs to be super easy to understand for someone who just switches on the TV because I don't think any sport is like that. I mean, in the UK, aren't they talking about changing the name of, uh, of, of a wicket in cricket to an out in one of the oh, sports? Like, it seems too much because it's just like all you have to do is watch for 30 seconds and you'll you understand that. You know what that, that. means. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, the, the lines are only there to delineate the track. Like there's always something off the track, like whether it's function. grass or even yeah. other asphalt. Don't paint the lines if it's not going to be lines. Save yeah. the paint. Do something else. So I don't know why it's not just that. Like <laughs> and because it's every track. Because someone is then choosing something else. Yes. Why yeah. choose when you cannot choose <laughs> and just have the line? That the best point I've heard. Why choose when, when you, you don't choose. have yeah, to? Yeah. It's, I've never understood why there's alternative things in track limits. But and, and then because it, it just makes us to have to talk about why Max Verstappen yeah. had to give the place back to Lewis Hamilton. And again, on people who are new to the sport, they're like, what? what? Yeah, exactly. What? But he just was faster. You're like, yeah. Oh, yeah, but because Michael Massey has decided <laughs> on the second session after the first session, it's like, oh, yes. no, can change it three times. And that's the thing, isn't it? It's so crap because look how long we've talked about <laughs> it now. Nothing fires oh. up more people than the phrase, I know we don't want to talk about this. But, but, but. <laughs> but it is, it's like, you have to then say, there's, I mean, they do that whole, the safety car clearly does that thing on Thursday or Friday for the TV graphics. It's like, you don't have to do that if it's just the line <laughs> yeah, everywhere. Like, you don't, why? And then you've got to say, well, they're going to do that at turn nine, but Bert not at turn four. That. Maybe favorite. that's the reason is the yeah. fact that Bird just wants more time in the car <laughs> to burn around and just do some Tokyo drift. Yeah, well, quite possibly. Good on him if and he wants enough, to do that. But he's got to take the penalty if he wants to go off the track. <laughs> Especially driving the Aston now, which looks... Oh, Epic. And it's cool, great. isn't it? And He's it getting a lot of variety, really isn't he, in his life now? Yeah, I've the same know, car what a job. Don't know if years. I agree with the medical car going from a station wagon fairly low to the ground to the DBX, which when it turns <laughs> yeah. a corner, it looks like it's going to roll over. <laughs> it's like one of Jeremy Clarkson's <laughs> constructions in <laughs> Top Gear. 
Like, that doesn't seem like a good idea. It would but be a very 80s thing to happen, wouldn't it? For yes. a medical car to roll over. Yeah, roll over into so a lake like or something like that. An old rover that doesn't yeah. go very fast. Yeah, that should yes. be the safety car. Yeah, yeah. That was that were great those days. Like, who's who's the medic, the doctor's driven in a rental car? Put that out there. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> Put a fire swift. extinguisher in the back, it's enough. It's so good. Yeah. Well, oh, they were the days. That's they were great. the days. So anyone else in the journalism paddock outside of Australia mm. that you just really love chatting to? I know that you speak to Ted sometimes on mm. the podcast to to sort of look back on races and the one that you did recently, which was the Imola preview, but talking about the race from mm. last year. Is it just cool to just sit and chat with him? Obviously remotely, but... Yeah, <laughs> yes, yes. Everything's remote. Uh, yeah, I mean, it is. He's really another one of those guys who clearly just loves to talk about Formula One, really engaged. I think at the time as well, actually, it wasn't that Imola episode, but when we spoke to him earlier in the year, he said he was particularly talkative because he was in quarantine and hadn't talked to anyone for three days. <laughs> and so every Human contact really of some kind. Yeah, <laughs> which is like, nice. We can give, we can be a service for people. Yes. Uh, but I think it's it, it comes back to that rule. Anyone who is not past the cynical line in Formula One, which is sometimes really hard, but uh, is always really interesting to talk to. Uh, I mean, there are lots of good guys. Um, the two ESPN guys, Lawrence and Nate, are really they bring two really different perspectives to things. Uh, Luke from Autosport, Luke Smith, he's yep. like a <laughs> can't say this anymore because he's not that young, but it was like a kid wonder. Like he started riding yeah. when he was nine or something like that. <laughs> wow. uh, and all these guys are really they're great because they're engaged and there are more. Like you know, there are plenty more, of course. Almost. I think to be involved in Formula One, you have to really love it. There are those who seem to be kind of checking the boxes, but there are not very many. Inevitably, they've either stayed too long or are actually football journalists who've been thrown onto yeah. the beat because someone's sick. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. You don't have to love it in that case. Uh, but I think that's one of the great things about being involved in Formula One. No matter whether we're here in Australia or at the paddock or whatever, is that people you you have to you have to really like it to follow it. It's not something, you know, like with the AFL, people choose a team because they have to follow it because otherwise they can't talk to anyone at work. (laughs) Yes. Formula One, you've really got to be engaged because you have to figure out things about track limits and you have to know who Michael Massey is sometimes. You need to know, yes, you need to know where Jeddah is (laughs) because these things crop up and you've got to be like actively engaged to follow Formula One. And I think that's what makes it great, first of all, but I think that's what makes so many people who are involved in it um, really interesting because yeah. they are all there for a reason. Yes. And they're all really great to chat to for that reason. So you had a brand new fan who walked up to you onto the street and said, mm. how do I get into Formula One? What would you say to them is a good way of just softly getting into it? Drive, survive. <laughs> no. Isn't that a Formula One? I thought yeah. it was Formula that One started Formula in 2019 yeah, yeah, yeah. and there's no history before. Yeah. So, okay, so yes, drive to survive. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that, I mean, it's, it's funny, isn't it? Because sometimes you'll say, well, you just if you watch a race, then then you've got to deal with the commentary. And sometimes the commentary is not super accessible. Yeah. And sometimes it's too English, depending <laughs> on who you're listening to. Yes. If they're English, that's great. Maybe that is the best way yes, to do yes. it. I think though, you've just really got to, um, oh, it's, it sounds really boring, but if you start, if you watch one weekend of every session, and I know practice is boring, <laughs> but you, you, it's the best way to get a narrative of a weekend. Yes. And then you realize the storylines that underpin the sport. If you do just watch qualifying and the race, there's always too much happening for you to, to really understand what's behind that. Whereas if you watch practice, there's normally issues that are sort of ventilated. You don't even necessarily have to watch the shows around the sessions because they're often kind of repeating stuff that happens yeah. in the sessions. Yep. But if you just build up to a weekend, I think you actually learn a lot more than you would if you were asked to sit down and read things about it. Um, just engage with the sport on that level. And then there are so many different ways the sport is covered, really. There are the technical journalists, there are podcasts that cover it in like a fun way that talk about the topics you probably picked up in the show. There are the ones that go really deeply into politics, all that kind of stuff. You can choose what Mm. you're engaged by. Like when I started becoming interested in Formula One, it was about the politics, weirdly. It was when Ferrari were threatening to break away from the sport in 2009 and there was the whole, uh, it was 2008, I think it was earlier than that. Uh, all that kind of politics stuff was really interesting because it was ridiculous that it yeah. would ever happen. Yeah. Uh, so whatever then piques your interest, there's someone always covering it. And I think that's what is one of the other great parts about getting involved in Formula One as a fan is that yeah. there's something to interest you there. Do you have a go-to podcast that's obviously not the Oz F1 show to <laughs> listen to? <laughs> yes. Favourite technical podcast? Uh 
I'm, I, I don't know I have a favourite, actually. I normally dip in and out of a, of a fair few of them, just depending on whatever the issue is. Like, if yeah, it has yeah, been a political great. week, it's great. then you go to the ones you know who are going to cover that really well. Or if, you know, there's some want, people want to talk about rake, then you can go to a technical <laughs> podcast <laughs> and hear about rakes. Why yeah. If you're into gardening yeah. or if you're on the ABC yeah. talking about yeah. a lawyer show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People, yeah. Like, people don't rake? talk about that enough. Yeah. They? They talk about rake. There's a lot. There's there's a lot of different ways to sort of slice that one. So yeah, yeah I don't know if I've got a favourite, but there there are plenty to go through. Yeah, that's great. Well, finally, and you've been really good with the time. Thank you. Before you jet off to have an interview with someone more interesting than us, <laughs> uh, and noting that you're normally on this side of the couch rather than the other side, what is a question that you wish someone asked you in an interview sense? Uh, I knew you were going to ask this because you told me. Yes, <laughs> imagine that. Yeah, and uh, I, but I don't. I honestly, I honestly don't have a great answer. I mean, I feel like the question, you know, what would you, what is the best way to get involved in Formula One? I feel like we've already talked about, but I feel like, you know, if, if someone did want to become involved, maybe let's stick with that if we're talking sure. about someone who is involved, is just to, I think, as we sort of covered, be genuine and be engaged. If you don't enjoy it, you don't have to enjoy it and don't do it, that's fine. <laughs> like Formula One's not always cool either. Yeah, so you don't have no, to feel yeah. like you've got to follow it. Um, and just ask questions because to go back to the idea that the people in Formula One are usually genuine and engaged because you have to be, people are really responsive. Like people are happy to usually answer emails or, um, you know, probably don't have their numbers necessarily. But if you text them, you do, they'll probably answer you as well. Yeah. And if they don't, then you don't need to worry about those ones because there are heaps who are mm, yes. just good people who are not there like just looking after themselves and like cutting throats to get ahead and all that kind of stuff. It is a community because it is a bit obscure, because it travels a lot, yep. because people are from different countries. It is a really strong bond of people in Formula One. So if you did want to get involved, there are always people willing to help you. So I think that's, I mean, it's not really an answer to a question. It's not really a question there, but it's <laughs> like, it, I, I just think it's that's, something. yeah, <laughs> I think that's sort of something that's worth remembering. If you, if people always do want to know how to get involved, it's, yep. There are ways. You just have to ask. Yeah. And look, mate, this is why we love your content is that you are your own person. You're not necessarily being held over by anyone else to put in, push a narrative one way or another or not talk about rich energy, for example. <laughs> um, but it's great. It's great genuine content. Uh, we love what you're doing. So thank you for, for coming on to this show. Uh, hopefully we can have you back to talk a little bit later in the season as well, which would be cool, just about everything that's going on. Uh, and, you know, thank you for you for being authentic. I, I guess. I tried very hard to be authentic. You have no <laughs> other <practiced>. skills. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Laminato, it's been so good to have you here. Thank you so much for your time. You can find Michael at the Box of Neutrals podcast, the F1 Strategy Report, or in the fast lane. He also resides a lot on Twitter, so you can find him there too. And thank you for listening to the show. It's been so great to have your support. If you'd like to hear more reviews, please let us know. You can find us on all of the socials or our website. Please consider subscribing and rating and reviewing this podcast too. Until next time, we'll see you soon. Podcast Network.